Good morning. So today's Palm Sunday, the day that we set aside to remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem in this triumphant and somewhat unusual way of coming in to a city. And uh, we're going to start by just reading the text together. Um, I do apologize for my slightly weak and strange voice. I don't normally speak like this, but I've just ca- recovering from a flu bug. So you'll have to bear with me and listen extra hard because <clears throat> it's a bit weak. Anyway, we're going to read. And because it's weak, I thought I'd get some audience participation, congregation participation. No, you've only got one line to do, actually. And as we read the scripture, the bit in bold, could we read out together? So you've got to stay awake at least that long, okay? So when we get to that bit, can we read that out together? Reading from Matthew chapter 21. And the words are going to come up on the screen. Oh, they're a bit small. Sorry about that. You can read the bold ones, yeah? Well, you might remember them if you can't, some of them. (laughs) Anyway, here we go. Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well done. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. For some of us, this account of the Palm Sunday, Jesus coming in, is really, really familiar. And maybe over-familiar. Maybe we just know it so well. For some of us, it's not that familiar at all. Maybe something we've heard in a school story somewhere or something like that. And for some of us, it means pretty much nothing at all and is of little interest. And that was me. That was me when I was about 11, nearly 12 years old. And I went along to a church because I'd never been to church. None of my family went to church. I'd never been to church in my life but I was in a school choir. And in the school choir, obviously it was an amazing school choir with amazing voices, I was spotted and asked to come and join the church choir. It really wasn't an amazing school choir, and it really wasn't an amazing church choir either. Anyway, I was asked to come and join the church choir. And I did. And my first day was the vicar's first day. I didn't know what to expect, obviously. I had no idea. It's a little bit like... Some of us going into a betting shop and making a bet when we've never done it before. Just what on earth do you do? Where do you go? What do you do? How do you do it? You know, I hadn't got a clue. So I went in petrified and thought I was going to be bored silly, quite frankly. So I went in in this little girl from the council estate in her frills because I'd been to choir practice and now I was in my robes and I was proud. And I sang my little heart out and I got to the back at the choir stalls and that's where I thought I'd have a snooze. And to be quite frank, I think that's what the other choir people thought too. And they all kind of sat there shuffling around, having a bit of a chat to each other. And that's how it went. Anyway, the vicar came up to speak. 
He was just a normal vicary kind of guy in vicary kind of clothes, and he looked nothing special, no offense or anything, but he just looked like a normal guy. And he started to preach, and he got to the bit that we just read there, and he said something like, how's it, how's it go? He goes, um, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! And my word, I think people fell off their pews. I woke up and I was listening and this guy got something stirring in me. Something that stirred in me that never went. And an excitement for something about this Jesus that people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Exciting story. And one of the things they did was gave us a cross, Palm Sunday cross. So for those of you that thought we were going all Anglican this morning, getting your palm crosses, we were. And it was for a reason. Because I had one of these, and this little girl went home to her house and put it on her mantelpiece and reflected on this palm cross for the following year, and probably for more than a year. It was just there. I used to dust around it. I used to put it there. And it was something that meant a lot to me because of what it represented, what I was learning about, who I was learning about day by day that I went to this church choir. And I found who it represents in my own life. So when I got to speak on Palm Sunday, what else could I do? Buy you a load of these. So you've had them in your notice sheet, but also there'll be some in in the foyer when you leave if you'd like one each. So there should be enough. I think it's a really exciting story, an exciting day. I'm excited by Palm Sunday for obvious reasons. Jesus beat the cross, didn't he? He conquered death. And when he came in on Palm Sunday, he knew that the week ahead was a massive, massive week ahead. He knew what the next Sunday was going to look like. He knew what the Friday was going to look like. He knew what every day was going to look like when people were challenging who he was. And he came. And then Easter Sunday happens too. Don't worry, we are going to go back to what happened on Palm Sunday. But Easter Sunday happens too. And when we look at this cross, let's consider the meaning of what happened on Easter Sunday. There's nothing magical in the cross. There's nothing magical that happened the day I took the cross home and put it on the mantelpiece. There's nothing magical, but the power of Jesus isn't magic. It's so much stronger than magic. The power of Jesus is eternal, and the power of Jesus is forever. And that's what I look at when I look at that cross. This is exciting stuff. Our lives are a journey. All of our lives are a journey. Wherever we are on our life, we're somewhere along our journey. I think that's not that profound. It's pretty obvious. Every day matters in our life. I wonder, are we noticing Jesus in our lives? What are we noticing about him? And when we look at this very familiar passage today, I just wanted to kind of stir in us, what are we noticing about Jesus in this passage? What are we expecting from Jesus? What do we think when we think about Jesus now? What do we care about him? That 12-year-old was thinking, who's this Jesus? I was getting excited about who he was. My life didn't change in an instant. It continued to change slowly. But who Jesus was stirred me. What stirs us about Jesus? What do we take notice of? And this Palm Sunday may be a familiar account to some of us, maybe not, but what are we going to notice from the story? What are we going to notice from this account of what happened? I'd just like to look at a few things, three in particular, and then do some application on that. 
Firstly, it's the context, the context of what happened. It's always good in Scripture to look at why, what was happening just before. And on Palm Sunday, when we look at what happened just before, there was an amazing story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, absolutely exciting, was when Jesus spoke to two blind beggars. And, he, and he, I'm going to talk about what they said in a minute, but what he said to them, they said to him, um, he, he said to them, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Two blind men sitting on the road calling out to him. What can I do for you? And I think, I've said this before, but it's obvious. Surely it's obvious, Jesus. They're blind. It's obvious why they're calling out to you. But actually, Jesus asks us the obvious sometimes and says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And Jesus had done that just before. But the bit I want to say about on this little aside to the story, because I I like an aside, but this aside is if Jesus was to say to you, what can I do for you? What would you say in response? What would you ask? What would you ask? What would you dare to ask of Jesus? So what did these guys call out? That's the bit I'm talking about. They said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. That's what they cried out to him just before Palm Sunday, that's what was happening in Matthew 20. And the other, the other um, accounts of Jesus tell us the same thing. That's what was happening just before. This phrase, Lord, Son of David, to the Jews was saying, you're the ultimate king. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. You're the king. Lord, Son of David was saying, you're him. And Jesus didn't answer, shh, don't say anything. He replied, saying, what can I do for you? So he was affirming what they said to him. He was confirming that he is the son of God, the the son of David, that line that they've been waiting for, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So the context here is Jesus has already started to stir things up. Before ever he gets to Palm Sunday, he's starting to admit who he is, respond when people are saying, son of David, have mercy on us. And before, when the, Jesus was, Jesus, the disciples were saying, you're the king, let's tell everyone, that he was just like, no, 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 wait, the time's not ready. Wait. But just before now, he's saying, yep, that's me. I imagine the disciples saying, oh, oh, look, he's admitting it. We knew, didn't we? We knew he was king. We told you, we said, we said he was a king, but he was saying, oh, no, shush, shush, shush. But here he is saying, yes, I'm the king. And yes, what can I do for you? And then what does he do? He heals them. So Jesus' power is very, very evident just before Palm Sunday. And the context of what we're talking about is Jesus' power growing, his evidence of who he is, his, him being, becoming public. Let's go public on it. It's where he was at before Palm Sunday. What can I do for you? And then he heals them. If Jesus is publicly saying he's king, there's a problem. Because either he's going to be crowned king or he's going to be killed. You can't have someone going around saying, I'm the king of the Jews, without there being a consequence. Something was going to happen. Jesus knew it, and Jesus knew that the time was coming. And the time has started to come. So... Statements like that just don't go unnoticed. The atmosphere was changing, things were changing. 
Second thing to notice, and I kind of noticed this a little bit more clearly this time when I was looking at the scripture than ever before. I kind of knew what I'm about to say, but I didn't like know. I'll probably just say what it is, isn't it, hadn't I? Because I'll, I'll just carry on with a little riddle of my own. But no, I kind of knew that Jesus had planned what was happening because he obviously told the disciples to go and get the donkey and the colt. But I hadn't really considered this one thing that I would like us to notice, that Jesus totally planned Palm Sunday. He totally had it in mind what was going to happen, and he totally orchestrated the whole thing. He knew when he said to the disciples in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. He knew what he was asking them to go and do. But I hadn't quite recognized that. I kind of knew that he was in control, but I kind of imagined Jesus kind of getting on the donkey and then getting to Jerusalem and going, oh, crowds, nice, no, no, nice. They're finally noticing who I am. Yeah, I'll lap it up a bit. Not that that's Jesus, but you know what I mean? I kind of imagined this surprise entrance and this surprise, oh, crowds. But actually he'd orchestrated those crowds to happen. The village of Bethpage, where he told the disciples to go, was right near Bethany, where he knew people. He knew the village well. He knew the people within it. When he knew where the donkey was, and he knew that when they asked for the donkey, they were going to say, what on earth do you need a donkey for? That's what he knew they were going to say. And then when they, he then told them to say, well, the Lord needs it. And they were like, well, the Lord needs it? In a village, we all know how villages work, that conversation is going to get around. This crowd is going to start to stir within the village. Bethany is nearby. It's going to start around that village. Jesus is asking for a donkey. Let's go and see what's going on. So he's orchestrating the whole thing. The disciples knew his power. The crowds had started to see his power, and they wanted to see what was going on. And they were very, very interested in Jesus. They were definitely going to go and see him riding in on a donkey. They were definitely going to go and see us. Verse 9, verse nine says, Tell us, tells us a large crowd appeared and they spread their cloaks. Verse 10 says a crowd gathered outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus knew how amazing and significant this week ahead was going to be and he knew it needed to have started with an amazing triumphant stirring. A stirring of people, a stirring of the crowd. The excitement that gathered that he was coming, people wanted to know what was going on. He'd already accepted that he was king. What on earth is a king doing? Why is Jesus calling himself this? The excitement was there. Jesus stirs things up and he makes a noise. He doesn't come in quietly and there's an accidental crowd. He does it on purpose. Some of the words this morning were kind of talking about us being stirred. That's how I heard them anyway because I'd already got this in my mind. This kind of stirring of our everyday life with Jesus, a stirring of, we worship here now, today, what are we going to do tomorrow? And Jesus was stirring the people. He was stirring them. And when I was, I was um, preparing my talk, I was reminded of a scripture that was quoted by Paul in the book of Ephesians. It says, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And he was saying in the context of, come on, church, it's time to wake up a bit. It's time to get stirred up a bit. It's time to stop being awake, asleep and be awake. And, and I'm not saying we're asleep, but I'm wondering whether we could be a bit more awake. Does that make sense? Like, I, I know it's for me, so I'm only, if I'm only speaking to me today, it's going to be really therapeutic. 
But wake up, sleeper. Wake up. What, what's, what's going on in you? What do you need to remember about Jesus? What do you need to remember about who he is that will stir us and stir us to be the people that God wants us to be, the people that we first were when we first were amazed, were amazed by who Jesus was, the girl I was when I first started to notice what this cross meant? What is it that needs to stir in us and wake us up? Have we gone a bit quiet in areas of life that matter? Our prayer points today blew my mind. And every time we pray for refugees, every time we pray against terrorism attacks, we are joining the heavenlies and we're saying this matters. Are we willing to be stirred? Are we willing to step out and say these things matter to us? They matter to us. What else matters in our hearts? Jesus is stirring the crowd because the crowd needed to know the truth. He was making a scene and making the most of the situation that he had. The truth about who he was, the truth that he was in town, the truth about why he was making a noise, is all because God was there. God was in the town. And God is in our presence, and God stirs us, and God wakes us up, and God gives things to us, puts things on our heart. What is he stirring us about? Are we up for a stirring? It mattered that Jesus was in town. It matters in our community that Jesus is alive. It matters. What are we going to do in our community? We can't just, I think sometimes we look at it and we think, I can't do anything. I can't face this. I, can't, I don't know what I can do. I'm just going to tell you a little story. I wasn't going to uh, share it, but someone gave me confidence to say something that I might not have wondered whether to share before the service, and I decided I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm going to share a story about a lady called Jan. Jan lives in Australia, and Jan is 72 and Jan bakes cupcakes. That's what she's known for. That's what she does. Two streets away from her, a brothel opens. And Jan rings a local pastor and says, what can I do? I can't do anything. I can only bake cupcakes. And the pastor was like, am I some kind of you know, expert on this? I don't, I don't know what to do either. But the reason they rang that pastor was that pastor was involved with the authorities about how to break in to brothels in the whole area in Australia. So that's why Jan rang her. So she was a church army pastor, this lady that she rang. And what happened was Jan said, I think I'm going to go and bake them cupcakes because that's what I can do. So Jan did bake cupcakes the pastor says that she went, she said, okay, I'll come with you. And she said, like walking up to the brothel and the, Jan was there with her cupcakes and said, I'll take the lead because God told me to do it. And the, and the pastor was in the background going, yeah, okay. God, don't let anything bad come to Jan. She only bakes cupcakes. And, and she, she got to the door and knocked on the door and a man answered and she got in. And then the pastor kind of went, I'm coming in too. So they kind of went in they just had cupcakes together, and this happened time and time and time and time again. The reason I'm telling you the story is because Jan is 72. She doesn't know what the end of that outcome is, but she knew she could bake cupcakes, and she knew that there was a problem two streets away, and she knew she could do something. Actually, what happened was the um, police, who were dealing with the pastor as to how to deal with the brothels in the area, called a meeting and called Jan in, to the meeting to ask her 
her opinion on how best to approach and befriend and come alongside people in the brothels. So why am I talking about this? If we're stirred to do stuff, if we're stirred to be activists, if we're stirred to pray and we don't know what we can do, let's just do what we can do. Let's be normal. Let's, be, let's join with other people who can do it. Let's go to an expert like Jan did. Let's ask others. Let's join in and get stirred and activate that stirring within us. What matters most in our hearts? I wonder what keeps us up awake at night. What niggles go round our head? Are they things that matter? But actually, are they things on the grand scheme of things that don't really matter at all? What is it that will stir in us that does matter? And what things can stir in us that really make sense in the kingdom of God? A third thing to notice. So we have already, we have the context of what happened. We have the fact that um, what Jesus was doing was no mistake. He was orchestrating the whole thing. And the third thing to notice, we have alluded to already, because it's Palm Sunday, and there was a donkey involved. So Jesus' mode of transport, why, why the donkey? Why the donkey? He didn't come on an amazing gold chariot. He didn't come on an amazing horse. He chose a donkey, and he chose a donkey very, very definitely, and for definite reasons. The disciples were really, really happy that finally he was allowing people to know that he was the king. But I think his mode of transport really baffled them. Why a donkey? You're a king. You're saying you're a king and you're coming in on a donkey. See, a donkey is a servant's mode of transport. A donkey is for the lowly. A donkey is for those who are without much money. A donkey is for those who aren't high in esteem in society. And Jesus uses a donkey. And the prophecies in the Old Testament were coming true. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A king on a donkey. Jesus often plays with our mind in what he says. He kind of turns our natural understanding upside down, and he's doing that just here. See, the thing is, if, if we consider us to be the servants, and Jesus is the king, Sin is where the servant decides that they're going to take the place of the king. I'm going to illustrate that to you by holding up these two things. So if we're the servants and Jesus is the king, every time the servant decides that I know best, even though you say this thing isn't the best for me, even though you say that this is sin... I'm going to sin. Every time we do that, we try to take the place of the king. We try to be in front of the king. We, try to, we make a decision that's saying, I'm better than the king. The king doesn't know best. My sin, the thing I want to do, my life matters more. That's what we're doing. And the king has every right to say to us, that's really bad, that's really naughty, why should you do that? I'm going to cast judgment on you because he's the king. But the king doesn't do that. The king says, I love the servant so much and I take on, in the form of the cross, everything that Jesus did on the cross, says, 
I take on everything you've done wrong. And the king takes the place of the servant. The king takes the place of us. The king comes in our place. So the the servant doesn't have to worry anymore about the sin that they've done. They're no longer condemned by the sin anymore. And the king takes the place of the servant. And this is what Jesus was doing when he came in on a donkey. He's saying, I'm the king, but I'm taking the place of a servant. I'm taking a lowly place. Because I'm coming in your place. And this will become more evident in a week's time. I'm coming in your place. Every time we sin, we just put ourselves back in front of the king. And the stuff that we prayed for today, massive stuff. Terrorism, attacks. If we think back in history, the Holocaust. All of those things is when people are saying, I know best. I'm putting myself in front of the king. And then the cross comes. And Jesus says, I'm the servant. I'm the king, but I'm taking place of the servant. He beats it. He beats all of the things we've done, all of the things that we will do, the big stuff in the world. Some of us say, well, I'm not involved in the big stuff. My sin isn't that big. My sin isn't that big a deal. But every time we even say something like, I'm worrying so much. My life's so hard. I don't know what else to do. And you know, don't hear me wrong. I know that some of our lives are really, really hard. But every time we say that, every time we take that attitude, are we trying to take the place of the king? When the king says, I know your situation. I know everything about you. I have you covered. I covered you once and for all when I died on the cross. So Jesus coming in on a donkey wasn't a mistake. It was the, ser- the king taking the place of a servant, and very, very definitely so. And he did this to save us from always feeling insecure, feeling incapable, feeling un- unworthy, feeling unable to do stuff. What about feeling fearful? He, he, he did this to save our lethargy, to stop us sleeping, to wake us up. He says, you matter so much that I'm taking your place. I am the king. I'm admitting it. But here I am on a donkey. So in summary, we started with noticing a few things about the passage. Maybe we need to notice just a few things about ourselves, our response and our understanding of what all of this means for us. If Jesus is saying, I'm the one who brings you freedom, I'm the one who frees you from slavery, that's what he was saying to them. They were completely bound up in, and they were completely subjected to the Romans at that time. And he's saying to you, I free you from the slavery of death. I free you from the slavery of the fear that gets you distracted. I free free you from those things that only you know about, that are in the secret of your mind. I free you from those. If Jesus the King still comes with that message of freedom today, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to step into his freedom? Are we going to allow that stirring within us? Are we going to allow ourselves to believe the King? And are we catching up with living in this reality? I think all of us are catching up with living in this reality. All of us, every day, learn a little bit more about who Jesus is. I wonder, do we have steps of faith to make? Maybe you can even think of something that's a step of faith for you to make today. Sometimes we wonder, why can't I do this? 
The media tells us we can do this. The strong woman can. The strong man can. We can face everything. If only we do this, then we can face this. If only we act like this, then we can face this. That's what everyone tells us all the time. And here we have a king saying, I am, com- I am coming and I have come and I take your place because I've done it and I am freeing you. I am freeing you from the burdens. I'm freeing you from the burden of sin, and I'm freeing you of the burden of having to live this life on your own because you are now free to be with me in everything. So he doesn't slip unnoticed into Jerusalem. He comes with this attitude, come on, guys, you're going to crown me or you're going to kill me. (coughs) Sorry, it was loud. Crown me or kill me. And Jesus says the same to us today. (coughs) Crown me or kill me. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Thank you, Phil. (coughs) And everything in the middle. Thanks for turning me off. (coughs) I'm going to finish here anyway, not just because I'm choking. But Palm Sunday is an amazing day. (coughs) And it points to a day, a future day, when Jesus will come again. Jesus will come again. The next time he comes, he won't be on a donkey, he'll be on a horse. The next time he comes, he'll come with victory. The next time he comes, he'll say, I've beaten death and you know it, and here I am, and this is the final cry to you. (coughs) The next time he comes is going to be a powerful, powerful thing. How will we respond? The Bible tells us that the trees will sing, the trees will wave their branches. So if the trees are doing that, what are we going to be doing? And if we're going to be doing that then, or shall we start now? Shall we start by praising God? Shall we start by looking at the wonder of who he is? Shall we allow ourselves to be stirred? Shall we allow ourselves to respond? Worship band, (coughs) can you start coming up, please? Because it's definitely time to worship and stop listening to me cough. So let us respond in any way that we think God has stirred us today. Amen.